You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Mark Schindler and I are going to endeavor on a quest to try and figure out how real or how not real seven NBA teams starts have been thus far. We're going to talk about the Utah Jazz, the Golden State Warriors, the Miami Heat, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Indiana Pacers, the Dallas Mavericks, and the Atlanta Hawks. It's going to be kind of a dive, a mishmash of, do we believe in this team? Do we believe in the current roster? Do we believe in what we've seen so far? Just kind of across the board, we're going to dive into everything that we've seen. Mark, what's going on, man? Uh, Yesterday was like the, I feel like I say this every other week, but like yesterday was like the craziest hoops day I've had in a minute. I think I started watching (laughs) basketball at 11 a.m. and um, normally like I watch everything on playback, but I was watching live yesterday because college started on, on both men's and women's and we had 15 NBA games yesterday. I was on the ding and had to watch all 15 games. So that was a, that was an adventure. Um, but it was great. I'm, I'm here to talk about basketball. I'm very excited to see him. How are you doing? I am doing well, like you said. Uh, so I don't even cover the breadth of basketball that you do. I can kind of limit my scope on things for the most part in a way that I need to. Um, it's really nice that I can really focus in on certain games. The problem is, so I, I chose not to watch any NBA until this morning mm-hmm. and then caught up on some NBA this morning. I made some bad choices. So the two games I watched like in depth and then I watched a couple others real quick, but like the two games I like really sat down for were George Mason and Auburn. Cause I'm a big fan of Kim English. I thought that he would have George Mason ready to go against Auburn. And he did like they were cutting off first and second actions, every single thing that Auburn did. And I thought that they had a pretty good plan in terms of generating three point attempts. The problem was that Auburn was just way too athletic for them and just completely bludgeoned them on the glass. Uh, The referees let a lot go in terms of being willing to uh, contact out on the perimeter. And that game wasn't all that close. The second game I really sat down and watched was Tarleton state, Arizona state. That was just an error. Like I saw a close game. I really wanted to get eyes on Marcus Bagley early in the year. So I sat down, pulled up synergy after that game ended watched it and uh that was that was hideous i I think that i wrote in my notebook like hashtag pain (laughs) at one point um let's see here uh i've got i've got good ones here let me bring it over uh 
this is the worst basketball game in history. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea what the fuck they are doing. This is insane. Um, yeah, this is literally not basketball is one note in here. So yeah, that was a fun game to watch. Uh, wow. Billy Gillespie did a great job of making that team uh, look absolutely hideous. Uh, Billy Gillespie doesn't seem like a great person. Definitely good at uh, making teams look ugly in terms of basketball. Well, I'm glad I missed out on that one. Uh, I have no intention of going back and watching that, but I did get to catch up on what you know a lot of the freshmen I'm excited about this year are doing. So shout out to Bryce Sensible. Yeah. Ooh, I haven't watched them yet. It's an Ohio State good, man. alum. Oh, man. Yeah. Get do, on I, do I need to like prioritize them today? I don't know if you need to prioritize it. I mean, it was kind of like it was just, it was a blowout, but um, I I'm so excited about that class. I wrote about them the other day. They're fun, man. It's a good group. It's a really good group, and I know that staff's really excited about uh, Roddy Gale, Felix Okpara, Sensaba, Bruce Thornton, all those guys there. So I'm really excited to watch them at some point. I just you know was pulled in eight different directions yesterday. Definitely, but. It's time now. We got to get into a few programming notes. I've been yelled at for not doing programming notes at the top. Go watch the tape breakdowns I did over on YouTube with Drew Timmy, Caleb Love, Deron Holmes. Those have all been added to podcast episodes as well recently. So you've been able to listen to those on podcasts. You can find those in the headlines. Additionally, uh, go subscribe to the YouTube channel, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini over on YouTube. You're going to get to know when we're going live with mark you can watch us break down basketball you know as as we're doing it right now over broadcast we do it live every episode that we record go follow mark at mg mg underscore schindler over on twitter do do we need an instagram account do we need a tiktok account (laughs) we're good without instagram or tiktok man i can only handle twitter i'm good on that that's how I feel as well. I do need to eventually get onto TikTok though, because apparently that's where uh, there is actual growth potential. Go follow me though on Twitter at Sam underscore Vicini. Let's jump in and talk about some NBA teams. So real or fake is the way that we're going to go about this. I kind of want to start with Minnesota mm-hmm. because I think that they are the messiest team i've seen so far relative to expectations (laughs) yeah like anthony edwards is like calling out their effort and then carl towns you know for instance called out anthony edwards is like diet a month after anthony edwards said that he wasn't willing uh wasn't going to eat out and like eat fast fried chicken or fried food anymore and then like anthony edwards has said like he doesn't seem to have that burst i don't know if he has a dunk yet this year as of their first now. like he didn't, six or seven games. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was after after the Suns game, he got two. Um, but yeah, before then he did not have any. And you can kind of see it in the way that he seems to be operating right now. Yeah. Um I don't know what this team does well. They're five and six, like they're in a totally reasonable position right now. Um, Rudy Gobert is obviously out uh in the health and safety protocols. But they're like in a not terrible position by any stretch. But do you feel like this team has a coherence when you watch them? I guess is what I would ask. No, I think the, the first thing I would I would immediately say no. Um, I think I, I was rewatching the Bucks game um, from uh, from prime time on Friday uh, before we hopped on here, 
And I think like, so I just stopped and said to myself, like, what are they doing? Like I, um, on one hand, I do want to just like rain back and sit and remember like this team looked pretty wayward the first, you know, 15 games last year. So I do want to give them some leeway. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought coming into the year that it would take quite a while to integrate Gobert and make this look right. The issue for me is like, and I don't mean to like chalk it up too much to this, but it's straight up just been effort. Like watching them, it's I think stifling first action is fine, but their scramble defense has been pretty terrible. Um, on offense, like it almost is reminiscent of watching the Saunders era in some of the shots that they'll take. Like they take it's not that there's anything wrong with early shot clock shots, but it's the shots you are taking. Like, okay, you're taking Torian Prince is taking a pull up three with an overloaded corner and Gobert standing, you know, five feet off the dunker spot in front of him. Like it's stuff like that. Like the spacing has been really rough. Um, a lot of it's been just overall where the players are at. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's been a pretty frustrating start just considering that those are the things that I didn't really like. I knew spacing and stuff and figuring that out would be weird, but uh, effort was not something that I thought would have to be a question here like and not to i mean it's been i think cat and ant but that's what's been so frustrating like yeah i appreciate that you're providing accountability but also like just fucking play harder man like i don't know like it's it's frustrating um just from like an analysis standpoint i i I actually so i do want to acknowledge what you said at the top here in terms of them a starting the season slowly last year and B, having a lot of new pieces to integrate, mm-hmm. right? They just do at the end of the day. There's just a lot that they have to figure out schematically. I don't really know that they have a, that they have a situation where all three of their main stars are on, Rudy Gobert, Carl Towns, Anthony Edwards, that it where both sides of the court are totally working right now. Yeah. So with Gobert on the court, they have a 106 defensive rating. When he leaves the court, they're up to 116. When he's on the court, though, they have a 103 offensive rating and a 119 offensive rating without him on the court. So they haven't figured out how to integrate Gobert and Towns together yet on offense. But Carl Towns just can't defend without Rudy Gobert. Like, point blank. I hate what they're doing schematically when Rudy Gobert is off the court. They keep running Carl Towns and playing him like at the level of ball screen coverages. And what it does is it forces the corners to essentially come way in and try and tag with a very long tag toward Carl Towns' man or toward a guy in the dunker spot. And they just give up a ton of open threes, it feels like. The Wolves give up more wide open threes than any team in the NBA statistically right now. They give up about 24 of them per game. And this is a team that plays the fourth highest pace in the NBA. So you would expect them to just be a little bit higher because of pace of play. But it feels like they give up more open threes than anybody. It feels like they give up a ton of corner threes. It feels like they give up a lot of you know, wide open threes where, you know, the guard hits the cross corner kick out to the corner. And then, you know, guy in the corner whips it up to the wing for a wide open three that way. It feels like they give up a lot of wide open threes 
every single time you watch them without Rudy Gobert on the court. Um, they need to figure out something different schematically with Carl Towns because that, that just can't work, I don't think. Like, I, I don't think they can make it work with him playing at the level of the screen with this level of Anthony Edwards athleticism and with this level of D'Angelo Russell athleticism. And that's kind of the other thing I want to get into. I don't think this team is overly athletic. Like that, that's, that's actually my biggest problem. They're a team that's playing like super up and down, playing very high tempo, but is not all that athletic. Like this version of Anthony Edwards, yeah, he's like an above average athlete in the NBA, but he's not the top three athlete in the NBA that we've seen Anthony Edwards so far this season, at least. Right. So I think he's going to work his way back into shape and get back into that echelon, but he's not that guy. D'Angelo Russell's obviously not a great athlete playing two bigs like Carl Towns and Rudy Gobert you're going to be a little bit slow footed out there in terms of running court, in terms of being able to get back in transition defense, in terms of just having foot speed to cover a lot of different actions. Kyle Anderson, not a crazy athlete, obviously. Torian Prince is like, not like a wild athlete. I feel like they go into games with like a fairly real athleticism deficit a lot of the time. And they don't really have like the wings and guards to cover for the lack of foot speed that Rudy Gobert and Carl Towns have right now. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point. And I think what's even more difficult too, is just looking at um, their rebounding. Like they have not been good on the offensive glass. Like they've been fine. They've been a little bit below average 18th for cleaning the glass, but then they're 23rd in defensive rebounding rate right now. And especially for a team that is going to be playing two bigs often, like they've been playing Nas Reed at the four and five too. And I honestly, like, I think there's been some good stuff seeing, him out of the bench, just the bench in general, I think has been an upgrade mainly because the starters have been so bad. But um, yeah, I agree with you. I think so often in watching this team this year, I've felt like they play way too fast for for what they're capable of doing, especially too. Like I was talking about this with somebody the other day, like this team is just really poor decision-making wise. Um, yeah. Like from the guards, like Ant yeah. right now, I, I don't want to say that he's regressed as a passer. I don't think he was awesome at that last year, but like he's not really looking at at the roller very often. There's a lot of telegraph passes, and it's not just him; it's the entire roster. Like, I well, think. I, I feel I feel like what's happening is Ant can't put as much pressure on the paint, mm-hmm. and he's not opening up passing angles as much yeah, as he point. did last year. Yeah, no, definitely, and I, I mean, it's been very apparent um, with Cat. I mean, I always think, and like, I think Cat is much better. If you're like, they've done some really good things with high lows that I really like from Cat. But it's the cat live dribble passes or cat like freelancing in the offense passes that I never feel very good about. Um, even yeah. like Delo's decision making has been kind of rough too, and like and I think it's more in shot selection for him, and he he can try and force some passes. But um, and I think especially with how cramped the offense has been, particularly with the starters, it's made it even worse. Like it yeah. just does not look good. I, I it really does not look good. I feel like. Um, yeah, it just – it feels like there's, like, three or four different things all going on at the same time. Like you mentioned, there's not really anything, like, concrete that I feel awesome about them doing. Um, so, in some ways, it almost feel like feels good that they're five and six compared to how we're talking about them. But um, at the same point, yeah, not great. Especially, too, like, D'Lo had the really down shooting year last year, and I think there was just an expectation that he would shoot better from three this year. Granted, it's early, but – from three 
right now. Um, again, like I think that's partially a symptom of the entire team. Like they have two guys shooting above average from three on volume right now. Um, but that's not something that I think is just going to dramatically change overnight. So I don't know. How have you felt about the Gobert and and D'Lo pick and roll? Because I feel like I haven't seen it as much as I've wanted to. Yeah, not great. Uh, I feel yeah. like I haven't seen that as much. But like, I I feel like I feel like they're not running. Look, I don't know what the numbers say. Maybe I'll pull that up as we're talking. I feel like they don't run a crazy amount of ball screens. Yeah, it's felt like it's it's just a very like I really don't like how the offense looks. The screening has been really bad. Like. Even with Rudy, I think the screening's been kind of rough to start. A part of that, again, like he screened for the same guys for four or five years. You're learning a new system and doing things differently. But the problem is it doesn't feel like there's a system right now. It just feels like guys taking shots. Um, and what's difficult, too, is this is not a team that I think should be much of a flow team because we're seeing kind of the results of that right now. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm I'm in there with you. Like I almost want to see uh, – an, an attempt to really try and separate some of the starters into the bench unit instead of playing more of like a f- uh, four bench players and a starter, which I think we've seen more of like, um, like maybe you build the bench around D'Lo and Gobert kind of like what Quinn Snyder did with, with Mike Conley and, and Rudy Gobert last year and in the year yeah. prior, um, just because I think they need to find some more answers with it. Like it, it, yeah, it just does not look very good right now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the Jazz are in the bottom third of the league in points derived out of, you know, hitting the roll man in pick and roll situations. And they are bottom seven in the league in points derived out of pick and roll situations uh, with the ball handler. So essentially, they're not they're like for a team that's fourth in pace, you would expect those numbers to be drastically higher yeah. uh, at the end of the day. So yeah, no, it, my, my inclination was right. Like it feels like they're not running a lot of ball screens and they aren't running a ton of ball screens. Um, the other thing that I do just like kind of w- want to bring up here is I had one more note here. Um, they gave up, they're giving up currently the fifth most transition points per game uh, in the league. And this is a team that was super successful running last year. And right now they're actually being, they're playing at the fourth highest pace and they're being outscored in transition at the moment. Uh, it's not by a big amount. It's by 0.3 points per game. But for a team that's going to run that has this kind of talent level that doesn't have this much athleticism, it feels strange to me that they're continuing down this road. I feel like they would probably be smart to slow it down a little bit more um, and, and just kind of roll that way. The other note that I had for you is, yeah, they're five and six, but like, look at their wins. Yeah, so, not, not a good schedule. <laughs> yeah, they've beaten the Thunder twice. They've beaten the Spurs, the Lakers, and the Rockets. Like, those are five of the seven worst teams in the league. Like, yeah. This is about to get harder for them. Like, they have the Suns coming up tomorrow. They have the Grizzlies Friday. They have the Cavs Sunday. Um, they get a bit of a respite when they go to Orlando next Wednesday, but like then they have the 76ers and heat back to back. Like this gets harder for them here soon. So they need to figure out some answers like this week, kind of otherwise we could see a bit of a difficult first 20 game stretch as opposed to a first 10 game stretch. 
Yeah, and I think what's so difficult too is because some of the other teams we're going to talk about, like with how competitive. I mean, obviously the least competitive ever, competitive every year, but with how many teams, like it feels like 25, 26 teams right now are like pretty fully yes. competing to be in the playoffs. Yes. And getting any kind of hole that you have to dig yourself out of is not the way you want to start the season. Like it just makes it that much harder down the stretch. Um, I think you need some kind of padding, especially headed into um, like, all right, are you going to make some kind of move at the trade deadline? Because then you're expecting like, all right, maybe we have a slight drop off as we try and make some changes there. Like, um, yeah, I agree. They really need to find something here. One one thing I did want to think, though, um, how have you felt about Jaden McDaniels? Because I do think he's like the one starter that I know the shot has not been there, but he has figured out some things that I think have been good. Like the driving and finishing through contact is getting kind of yes. real for me. Yes. Again, the shot not being there makes it harder to distinguish it. But I mean, on top of the defense as well, like he's one of the few guys who I look at on the team that has been consistently effort and whatnot. Um, so I think that has been a positive thing, but again, like it's just finding the ways to make this all work is um, Chris Finch has a, as a, as a job in store for him right now. Yeah. Like with Jaden, it's like great defense and great finishing, but they need the shooting like yeah. his job this year, like the biggest swing skill for Jaden McDaniels this year, point blank was he needs to knock down threes because we need to space the floor so that Rudy Gobert can dive to the rim so that Carl Towns can post occasionally. That's like the, that's the skill for Jaden McDaniels this year. Not to say he can't be effective without it, but like from a team perspective, they desperately need him to be good at that. And he hasn't been so far. The The other thing I will note on the Timberwolves schedule is they've played eight of their 11 games at home so far. Uh, this gets harder. Like this, this doesn't get easier for them. And five, like th- this is a team that should be probably eight and three right now with their schedule. Like you can expect loss. You can expect a loss, you know, to Phoenix on the road. You can maybe expect a loss to Milwaukee at home, but like you should beat the Knicks at home. Yeah, you should beat that the game Spurs. Was disgusting. Yeah, like you should beat the Spurs regardless. Almost, um, I'll even accept losing to Utah at home, given the way Utah looks, and we'll get to them next, maybe because I find what they're doing fascinating. But like a home game against Utah, like I guarantee they were favored in that game, if only because we didn't know what Utah was at that point. But like they've yeah. probably been favored in eight of their eleven games so far, if not more. So. I think that they're actually like, even though it's five and six and things look okay in terms of record, they're behind the eight ball, I think, from a schedule perspective right now. Yeah, definitely. I'd imagine, uh, I'm I'm not like a huge betting person, but I would imagine that they have been one of the worst teams against the spread this year, uh, just given how their years started off. Um, The last thing I want to hit on too, um, that I think is going to be really interesting for them, they have kind of uh, and this sounds minor but they've they've pretty much axed Bryn Forbes' minutes right now sounds small there is not a movement shooter on this team and I am worried about that as the season goes on um I think especially too like I liked the Kyle Anderson pickup but also it's really hard to make Kyle Anderson work with how this team looks right now um even with the bench unit like the shooting has been pretty blah um outside of Torian Prince being on an absolute heater so Again, just it feels like they have to make some tweaks, maybe roster wise or figuring some things out in the lineups that are going to be different. But um, one of the more fascinating teams to watch and try and figure out this year, because I just am not I have no idea what to think that they're what they're going to look like in a month. Yeah, I agree. Let's go to the Utah Jazz. 
Utah Jazz have been just like once the the, the delight of the NBA. The Western Conference first seed Utah Jazz, you meant to say. The nine <laughs> and three Utah Jazz. And real quick, I, I didn't ask the question at the end here that I want to ask about all of these teams. So real quick on Minnesota. Do you think their struggles are real or do you think those struggles are fake? Oh, I think those Based are very on, real struggles. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that what we've seen so far from Minnesota is like a pretty real problem situation. If you didn't get that from how Mark and I were talking. Yeah. Uh, but let, let's go to Utah now. Just the most fun team to watch for me right now. Yes. And I'll give you the floor first. I, I, I have like a little spiel I want to get into in terms of why I think they're winning games. But what have you enjoyed about the Utah Jazz so far? Uh, this is, Sam, this is like my team so far this year. I think I've seen 10 <laughs> of their games. Um, they're so fun. Um, it just, they're, they're very much for me. They're, it's like watching 17, 18 Pacers, 18, 19 Clippers, just like the team that I think got, I mean, Utah was expected to finish even lower than either of those teams were that year. Cause I think Pacers ended up winning 48 Clippers ended up winning 48. Um, I know Pacers were supposed to win 35 that year because they were paid before the season. Um, this jazz team to me, it's just been, I love what they do. They, they know what they have. They're like, okay, we have a lot of fast guards who can hit shots off the dribble. We have a couple of really good playmaking hubs who are good shooters. So they run everything through the elbows from, from Kelly Olenek um, and through Lowry Markinen. And I mean, less, less, we'll get to Lowry in a second. Cause he's doing a lot more than just elbow stuff, but like, oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, just in general, I mean, they, they play really fun. Like Colin Sexton is a really fun change up off the bench, doing more speed based things. Mike Conley, after looking kind of uh, in trouble last year with where he was at, has been incredible to start the year based on what my expectations were like legitimately Jordan Clarkson's playing at nearly an all-star level right now. Like this is the best I've ever seen him play basketball. Um, yes. I yes. think the playmaking has been like very real and very good from him. Obviously not a primary, but like this is like the best version of a combo guard. I think you could possibly imagine um, that's not an all-star level combo guard, but like um, the shot making has been awesome. Like, again, I think to be fair, and this is something you're probably gonna hit on the shot making is going to die down at some point. Like this is, this has been an unreal heater from a lot of the Probably. guys. Like, yeah. Like not that I think it's going to fully disappear. Um, but yeah. And then you have Lowry, like Lowry marketing has legitimately been clutched this year, which sounds wild to say, but he's been their guy that they're going to in stretches. Like he's looked um, saying like crown jewel prospect sounds like a weird way to put it, but like, He's capable running off movement sets. He's capable of being a screener and popper. He's he's kind of putting together everything that I think you saw, you hoped from seeing more of with the Bulls that I think, uh, and also putting together a lot of things that he did with the Cavs as more of a glue guy last year. Um, yes. And it's just awesome to watch. Like, I think you're seeing him get more separation on drives than I was really ever used to seeing him do in, in Chicago. Obviously, the shot is not falling for him right now, and I – just based on trajectory, I expect that to change up. Um, this has been fun. Like he's doing some stuff live dribble as a playmaker that I just never thought we'd really see. Not that I think that's something that you can bake in as being a thing for him, but this is just a really good forward in the NBA who's kind of testing the waters and figuring shit out offensively while not being a problem on defense. And uh, I'm enjoying it, man. So I think that, 
I think that what stands out most to me, and it's an immense credit to Will Hardy, who I think has been the best coach in the league so far this year. Yeah. Um, they have a top three offense and a top 10 defense. And you just think about what is important to winning basketball, right? What are, what are the factors that win you a lot of basketball games? You want to win the possession game. This team does not turn the ball over. And they generally do a pretty good job of winning on the glass. They get a ton of offensive rebounds. The defensive rebounding has been a little bit questionable, but like they get a ton of offensive rebounds and they don't turn the ball over. So they're winning the possession battle every game. Shot creation. Like we can complain about Colin Sexton and Mike Conley, this iteration of Mike Conley, and we can complain about Jordan Clarkson. The thing in Malik Beasley, like the thing that these guys do is they create shots. Like no questions asked. Like a lot of these guys are good shot creators at the end of the day. And then you shoot and space the floor and they play five out at times. They can like very easily beat you in terms of shooting and spacing the floor. So they get this incredible shot mix because they have a lot of dribble pass shoot guards and floor spacing bigs. They have guys like Jared Vanderbilt who do all the dirty work and who get offensive rebounds and can kind of act in that way. They don't turn the ball over. They get a ton of extra shots on teams. It, it's just they're outmathing teams, essentially. Like that, that's kind of what it comes down to for me. Mm-hmm. Like basketball, you know, we don't like to talk about it as a math problem. And this jazz team has been much more than a math thing. They've been incredibly aesthetically pleasing to watch. But like they're out mathing teams as well. Like that, that's kind of what it comes down to. They're getting more three point shots. They're generating high level looks from three. They're getting extra possessions. And defensively, the other thing that I think is really good is they're executing exceptionally well defensively. We are going to talk about the fact that like teams are shooting astronomically low against them from three, and that's not going to mm-hmm. hold up. But here's the thing. They don't give up open threes. Like they've given up the second fewest wide open threes in the NBA this year, according to the NBA site. So like we can talk about the fact that, oh yeah, like teams aren't going to shoot 33 or 32 and a half or whatever they're shooting right now against the jazz from three. But the jazz are also like playing a role in stopping that from happening by executing and playing hard defensively and closing out on shooters and forcing them into more difficult spots. Yeah, I think it's a really great point. Uh, I've really enjoyed how good this team is at KYP. Like, I think there are so many teams, yep. especially in the regular season where you watch and, like, they just – it's closeouts for everybody. I think this team's been really good at being selective <laughs> in who they're closing yeah. out to, who they're giving unders to. Um, and I appreciate that because it's just – it's simple shit that makes you a lot better in the regular season. Um, and like you were mentioning on offense, I think – Outmathing, I totally agree with. But what's interesting too is like it just never feels, and it's not even about math. It's just more like it just never feels like there's a bad shot. Like they are so good at just yeah. okay, I this is not my shot. I'm moving the ball. Like there's nobody yep. forcing anything. Um, and I've really loved that. Like, and I also I I didn't even get to pine about Jared Vanderbilt yet. Like, dude, Jared Vanderbilt has been sick to start the year. Yes. Like the defense yep. has been really, really good as per usual but he's doing again like it's it's bumpy but he's doing more stuff uh as a as a as a ball handler like off the catch 
um, attacking closeouts, yeah. which again, like not somebody who should be getting closeouts, but the fact that he's getting it and just making things happen. Um, really fun, sneaky passer at his size too. And I, it goes yeah. underrated because of, um, you know, he's, I think he had like 9% usage last year uh, with Minnesota, <laughs> which is probably where yeah. it should be. But like, um, it's just been fun, man. Like you get to see everybody do things. Um, Taylor Horton Tucker and Nikhil Alexander Walker are here and along for the ride. Um, <laughs> Rudy Gay is here. That that has been an experience so far. It hasn't really worked out for him yet. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, this team is even the jerseys are growing on me a little bit because the team's been fun to watch. I still think they suck, but um, <laughs> it's you know compared to what it was, it's it's, it's getting better. I, I think that the other thing that like really stands out for me, and this is another credit to Will Hardy, right? Mm-hmm. This is a group of guys that you know, fairly or unfairly, whatever you want to call it, have been maligned throughout the career as selfish, yeah. right? like shot gunners, like Jordan Clarkson, Malik Beasley. Um, Colin Sexton is like a primary example of this. Taylor Horton Tucker, like has been an example of this throughout his career. Uh, Rudy Gay has been an example of this at different points throughout his career, right? Mm-hmm. And they're just playing very unselfish basketball. It's like they've heard what everyone is saying about them. And this is something that Lowry Markinen alluded to in an interview with Sham Strania earlier today it feels like they can hear what people are saying about them and they want to prove them wrong. And that factor I think can play real dividends in the regular season for a team like the Utah jazz that uh, can, you know, has a lot of skill and is being utilized and executing extremely well uh, at a high level. But yeah, no, this, this is a good team. Like this is, do I think they are real in terms of, do I think they are a top of the Western conference team? I do not. I don't, to be honest. I think that eventually opponent shooting will revert back to the mean and some of these close wins will become close losses and it will be a little bit more difficult for them. And I also think the teams will start to get better at frustrating Lowry and playing off of Jared Vanderbilt and just kind of gumming up the works a little bit for Utah's offense. Like, I don't think they will finish with a top three offense in the league, but I do think this team is too good to tank right now. Like just straight up like that. They are, if real is, is this a 40 win team? I might buy that. Yeah. Like I, I think they're probably that to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I was I was gonna go right there too. Like I think I'm very much in the boat of if they were to not break up the roster at all, like I think this team could win 40 to 44 games. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, like they based just based on what they're doing principle wise and and talent, like it's very much a we're going to be above average on both sides of the ball. We're going to be in games. We'll see how it goes clutch wise. Um and I think that's where it gets funky though, because they have their own draft pick this year, right? Uh they do, yeah. Yeah. And again, I think I agree. they also like, they also might have Minnesota's, which like who the hell knows what happens. True, that's that. a good point. Yeah. But um it's just it's it's fun because I I'm I'm almost at the point where or I'm I'm definitely past almost. I'm like I just enjoy watching this team play basketball. I don't really want them to blow it up. I get that they will and that's you know probably gonna be what they do in in time. But even then, like even if they do yeah. like send out a couple of their veterans, like I think this is still going to be a solid team just the way that they're playing. Um but yeah. Yeah, like that that's my question. Like what is blowing it up? Like is it sending like, out Mike I, I Conley probably? 
Yeah, like if you move Conley, if you move Beasley, there are a move... lot of teams that should be looking at Kelly Olynyk right now. Um, I agree. Yeah. yeah, like Kelly is actually the one where I'm like, oh, like he would actually hurt them yes. moving him yeah. even more so than some of the other guys on this roster. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's just actually really important for them structurally, which is yeah. like something I never would have expected. Just no, exactly. Like I mean, it sounds crazy because he's only yeah. having like, like twelve, four, and three, but. I think their offense completely changes without him. So, yeah. But also, just one last side note. I've really enjoyed watching Walker Kessler. I was not. Uh, that's where I wanted to close yeah. with on this. I was so, not yeah. super high on Walker in the draft. I still I still would have drafted Christian Coloco over him. Um, I like Coloco just a lot. But um, he had a moment in what, uh, what game was it? I think it was the most recent Jazz game. Or not not the one yesterday. The one before. Um Somebody, yes, it was Norman, Norman Powell got him with an up fake on his drive, scored uh, right under him, and then came down, I think, two or three possessions later, tried the exact same move, and Walker just swatted that shit, sat on it perfectly. <laughs> and that's something I've been, like, really impressed with him. I think he's done a really good job of just adjusting kind of on the fly, uh, finding tendencies in game. Like, obviously has his rookie moments. I think figuring out offense is still going to be a thing for him. But the defense has really stood out. Like, he has not fouled yeah. nearly as much as I thought he was going to this year. Um, and it just looked like, a, I mean, capable of playing real 12 to 15 minute stretches. Um, yep. Not like not in one seat. You, you know what I mean? Like in a game. No, of course. Yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. been fun. Like, I'm, I'm excited for him. And I, I'm just excited about this Utah team in general. Yeah. I, I, look, I did have a first on Walker. Like, I, I liked Kessler enough pre draft. Mm-hmm. I think that he looks good for a. 20th to 30th overall pick if only yep. because i'm still worried about what it looks like in the playoffs like i, I don't know for if sure. he's going to be able to defend in the playoffs and for me like if it's a big that might not be able to defend in the playoffs somewhere in the 20 to 30 range sounds right but he's been great so far and he looks like he's going to hit that mark in terms of being um, a very effective player for the utah jazz moving forward uh, let's take a quick commercial break though and we'll be back to get to these other five teams okay we're back i want to go to the atlanta hawks now the atlanta hawks have been Definitely a team that's taken advantage of a schedule. They've beaten the Magic. They've beaten the Pistons twice. They've beaten the Rockets. But they also knocked off Milwaukee last night without Trey Young. And that was like basically, you know, for what Milwaukee has been so far this season. Full strength Milwaukee. The DeJounte Murray edition. I had some questions after their first game against the Rockets. I am... Very, and I had a lot of questions when they acquired him as well. Mm -hmm. I I was, I think, one of the more skeptical people about this that I know, at least. I'm coming around. Like, I I do think this is going to work with the the DeJounte Murray, Trey Young pairing, the playmaking, um, the fact that they have a high level, all star level player out there at all times is really valuable for them. Um, Yeah. And, you would expect on some level maybe that like the Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, maybe that two-man combo would be a little bit worse than some of the other two-man combos that are possible within their starting lineup. The Trey DeJounte two-man combo has actually been the best two-man combo of any of the possible two-man combos in their starting lineup so far. 
So Trey and DeJounte is working. I This Atlanta team, I think, has been pretty good so far. Yeah, I thought last night was – I'm going to start with with talking about just some of the younger guys because I think last night to me was uh, the night from – like I was I was teetering on this Hawks team the last couple the last last week I think I would say because they had the loss to the Bucks last week I was like all right I don't I don't I don't know how I feel about this they had the loss to the Raptors which I think there's a lot more to dive into with that but overall like watching this team I've I've been like honestly pretty encouraged you know I think that they're they're going to finish above 500 in my opinion like I think that's the level of team that they're playing like right now um and like you mentioned I really like the way that they've been utilizing Trey and DeJounte I think they've done a good job of having DeJounte bring up the ball more force teams to guard him, but then also involving train actions immediately to um, make him an off ball threat without necessarily running him off a million screens. Like, I, I don't think that he's been, you know, the Doug McDermott level off ball mover that I think people have always hoped that Trey young would be, but I do think that he's done a decent enough job at, at being active in, in what they're asking him to do. And that's been enough. Um, their offense is only 11th right now. And I think a lot of that is due to just Trey having a, shitty shooting start and he's already started to get out of the slump a little bit um i think that's going to come around the passing has been i mean that skip pass he had the other night was that was lefty that was skip insane, pass like what are we man. talking about that was just crazy stuff um <laughs> yeah he's he's been impressive to start the year um without even being fully on his game offensively um and like you mentioned with Dejounte, like he's been perfect in working with clint capella and onyeka kongwu like yes. i think to me one of the reservations I had about DeJounte, and this is not meant as a slight towards him, I've always found his assist numbers a little bit overinflated just because it's mostly pocket pass and, and basic pick and roll stuff. Um, like he really ate living alongside Yaka Pirtle, but being alongside Clint Capella and Onyeka Kongu, that's a pretty good way to keep that going. And he's yeah. just so good at what he does with his craft out of pick and roll scoring in the mid range, being just, a, you know, overly effective enough at it to, to make it effective offense. Um, I do think one of the saying issues, like, well, I'll, I'll ask you this. How have you felt about DeAndre Hunter this year? I've actually liked him. Like, I, yeah. I think that the problem is more that, like, it's more of a Nate McMillan thing yeah. from time to time where they'll, any action it feels like that isn't DeJounte or Trey centric is like a mid post, you know, face up for De, or, uh, DeAndre Hunter. And I'm just like, don't know that I need this necessarily. Yeah. It might be okay occasionally, but like they do it a little bit more often than maybe I would like, but look, he's shooting. Well, I think he's defended fairly well. I don't know yeah. that I would go like, you know, a super impactful all defense guy. Like I think yeah. they're hoping him to be, I think he's been like an above average defender so far with that. that can knock down shots from three and can occasionally make a mid post face up jumper. Is that enough for $95 million? No, but like, is it enough to be like a very clear starting wing for a DeJounte Murray, Trey Young team? Yes, I think that's true. Yeah, so I think that's that's what I wanted to get into. I think he's been good. Like, I agree with you. I think I've liked what he's done defensively. Um, he gets a rough whistle defensively. He gets called for everything on defense just by virtue of being in the way, um, which is yeah. just kind of funny. But I think to me, in watching the game against Toronto, a lot of people were like, oh, see, like, I just don't trust Trey. And I think to me, this was a lot more where I was like, all right, this is where you see more of the flaws in the rest of the roster. Because I think so often it's like, all right, we're sending we're sending two to the ball against Trey, ball out of his hands immediately. And DeJounte, not DeJounte, uh, DeAndre just DeAndre. 
yeah absolutely just destroyed by og ananobi in that game like that was yes. demoralizing game for deandre hunter and i think that's where you see more of the issues right now with what the secondary creation can be um especially yeah. if you know if Dejounte and, and trey are on the floor together um again that's not gonna be all the time but i do think like that's stuff that i'm it I want to see what this team looks like with Bogdan Bogdanovich because he still hasn't yes. been healthy yet. Because I do think that that has me excited for what that could look like, um, especially like making DeAndre more of a four. And that brings up questions about John Collins, but that, that's an entire other thing. Like, not that he's been bad at start theory. He's just been in a kind of awkward place for me. But what I did want to hit on before we hit on that, last night against the Bucks, watching the way that they found a way to, to keep A.J. Griffin, Jalen Johnson – and on Yaku Kongwood together, like that bench unit was huge in the game against the Bucks last night. And um, I don't think that bench unit has been very good so far, just to be yeah. honest. Like, no, I, yeah, I, think I agree. They've struggled. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that what I'm hoping to see this year is for that to grow a little bit more. I've been relatively like pretty encouraged by what Jalen Johnson has done. I wasn't <laughs> expecting him to step in with as big of a Minnesota as he's had this year. Um, and he's been fine. Like, I think you saw it, it's. Not again, not that not saying that they are perfect players, but more so they just have a lot more versatility, length, and athleticism on this roster than they did last year. And I think last night was the encapsulation of that for me. I saw them get absolutely run over by the Bucks every time they played last year. I think this just yesterday, even with by like, yes, they fouled a ton still, but by virtue of having as much length as they did on the court, as much size as they did on the court, they were really able to give Giannis more problems than I think he'd faced any game yet this year again part of that schedule and stuff too they didn't have chris middleton but um i like some things well, some of the things you know what though bring. like onyeka defends Giannis very well yeah like that that has just been and he thing. dunked over Giannis twice yesterday which that was enjoyable yeah like for whatever reason onyeka and it makes sense like onyeka has like the perfect frame to be able to do this because he's six nine and 245 pounds low center of gravity moves his feet mm-hmm. well like super super strong it makes sense that he'd be very good at defending Giannis, but i feel like he does there there might not be five better guys who do a better job in the nba on Giannis than onyeka kongwu which is to say like Giannis is still going to go for 30 10 and five because that's what he does but like makes it harder for Giannis I think like consistently makes Giannis's life way more difficult Onyeka and and that's what I wanted to get into now I I think Onyeka has been outstanding I think he is like pretty significantly outplayed Clint Capella so far this year really I do wow I think Um, so I think Onyeka has been good but dude I've loved I I think Clint's been really damn good this year I think Clint has been very good defensively mm-hmm. but you look at all of the lineup numbers so far the hawks are a plus two on offense and four points better defensively when onyeka is on the court they are substantially worse to, are on both ends not substantially worse on both ends but worse on both ends by a not insignificant degree when capella is on the court despite the fact that capella plays 90 percent of his minutes with trey 80 percent of his minutes with Dejounte, uh has played 62 percent of his minutes with the starters and Onyeka has been a part of these bench units that have just frankly not been very good. Mm-hmm. Like I think Onyeka has actually been like a big key cog for what has been successful for Atlanta. A lot of the time this year, you mentioned the DeJounte Murray pairing with Onyeka. I think that's been like so big to even get anything out of these bench units from Atlanta. Yep. Anytime that they run like the Capella bench unit, 
lineup, they just get absolutely waxed. It feels like, um, which kind of says to me that guys like DeJounte, DeAndre Hunter, particularly are doing a really good job of stopping guys from getting inside on Capella and being able to keep guys in front of Capella so that he doesn't have to like maneuver out of his drop scheme all that much and can kind of keep steady positioning, uh, which is great team defense. And I don't mean that as a slight, I I just think that Onyeka has given them a bit of a different dimension, which has been very, very helpful for them. And Mm -hmm. I think has ultimately been a little bit more effective for them. Yeah, I think that's fair, especially too. Like I, I like what you mentioned just in terms of giving them a different look because they get a little bit more, like, I mean, they're able to just play often when they're playing and they're playing them out there with a little bit more length, just more size in general. And they're playing like this team has gotten after it defensively in a way that I wasn't quite anticipating this year. And I've appreciated that a lot. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of the, just one of my only drawbacks has been, uh, I still am not quite there with Onyeka offensively. Like I like him a lot as a screener and what he can do, but I still just don't think he's the best ruler. Like he has, Good stuff as like the, you know, the floater has been there a little bit more for him this year. Um, not that he's a below the rim finisher, but he's not the same lob threat as Clint right now. Um, so it just makes it a little bit not like murky, but I still think there's not saying that they should get rid of Clint or something, but I've, I've seen yeah. a lot of fans just be like, it's time to move on from Clint. I'm like, I get what you're saying, but also you're losing a lot if you if you just ax him right now or find well, a way to change it. But Yeah, Onyeka can't play against some of the bigs in the East. Yeah. Just like kind of straight up. Like he, Joel Embiid quite... has made him look like a child every time they've played. Yeah. That's right. And, and that is a matchup that they have a very real opportunity to end up having to deal with in the playoffs. So you have to keep Clint. It's just that like, I wonder if at some point we start to see more on Yucca minutes than Clint minutes. Yeah. Um, this season. Okay. Let's go next to the team that I have struggled to get a handle on more than any other team in the NBA this season. I have no idea if the Dallas Mavericks are like just straight up good or if they are a team that is being just like absolutely carried by Luca. And if Luca goes through a cold stretch, they're going to be a disaster. I don't know what the hell this team is other than the fact that Luka Doncic has been the best player in the league so far. What are your thoughts on the Dallas Mavericks, Mark? I'm gonna be annoying and still say I'd have Giannis ahead of him. Um, just because I have to back up. I had a had a banger tweet the other I day get about it. how Giannis is the best player in the league. So I have to stand on all ten. But um I I'm there with you. I I love watching Luca play. I do not love watching this Dallas team play. I think their defense yes. can be really fun, but offensively they're just like Luca does amazing shit every night. And it's funny because I think going into the year I said Luca's chance to win MVP is they finish above 500 and he averages over 30. And well, they're, they're doing that right now. Uh, 36 per game to be exact, which is just like mind boggling to, to, to look at. Um, and I, I mean, he's just been, it, it's like, what's the best way? It's almost like playing a video game that has scripted results in it. Like you just know, okay, Luca gets through the ball. He's making the skip. He's making whatever is wide open and the shots going up. Um, yeah. And I think their ball movement all has been fine. Like, I don't think it's been amazing. It's like they're not a team that I expect to to hit with redrives. It's mostly like, okay, Luke is going to create, cause a dent in the defense, and they're going to attack from there. Yeah. Um, I've been a bigger fan now with Dwight Powell playing more because JaVale just was not good to start the year. 
So I've liked that change up. Um, I still am not entirely sure where I'm at with the Christian Wood experience. I think he's been really good as a scorer off the bench. I just think especially with – like I just have more questions about what this looks like in the playoffs. And not to go too far, but just in terms of thinking like this is a team that made the Western Conference Finals last year. Um, when you're looking ahead to that, I still have a lot of the same questions of, okay, who is creating other than Luca? Because I think it's just going to boil down into, all right, we're going to send two hit shots. Like, go crazy. Um, and Spencer Dinwiddie has been good. The The shot hasn't fallen off at all. He's still shooting 40% right now on high volume. But I still am not entirely sure where I'm at with it. It's it's just it's a really weird blend. I, like, Tim Hardaway Jr. still hasn't even, like, fully worked back in yet. He's important for them. The one thing I do want to say, too, I love what Josh Green has done for them. Like, I really yeah. like what that has added for them defensively. He forced Kevin Durant – oh, him and Theo Pinson uh, forced Kevin Durant to get that tech yesterday, which was absolutely pivotal in the game. We love grifting. Um, but, like, the <laughs> short roll passing has been really good from him. Like, just being a roll yeah. threat at 6'4", 6'5", has been really good. Um, we're kind of seeing him pick, put everything together. I don't think that he's a 67% three-point shooter, but everything looks a little bit smoother on his on his actual shot. Um I, I still just don't know that I, I view the team as having quite enough juice, but like Luca's just so good, man. I, I think that's that's the thing I just keep coming back to. Like I watching that they have the biggest cheat code in the league. Yeah, like that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, shoot, which game was it? I think it. Was, I mean, in the in the in the Brooklyn game last night, like Kevin Durant guarded the hell out of that man especially the entire fourth quarter. Like he pressed He, he took it personal. I have he never like, seen Kevin Durant full court. Press yeah. Somebody. And he's picking up Luca 90 feet. Like I, and so, I mean, I, it's just like a side note. I am bummed for Kevin that he's going to get that game. Remember for the free throw that he missed, but cause he was unreal in that game. But yeah, I mean, Luca's just, he just feels kind of unguardable right now outside of like <laughs> forcing him to pick up and shoot from outside. Like, cool that's 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 your one thing like he's shooting free throws well this year um relative to where he's been at and it's just i yeah i i just i feel like this is kind of the thing where i don't know where i'm gonna be at them until we're deeper into the year and we we get some more run against better teams but um they've been good man i think that it's real as as real as that i know it's a big ramble but like i think it's real and real ish you know (laughs) so (laughs) resounding yeah. yeah This is this is why I wanted to talk about them because everything in their statistical profile, like we've ripped off like a bunch of stats, right? That yep. have been like, okay, these are indicators that something might not be real. Three point shooting against, you know, three point shooting for what kind of shot profile you're generating. Everything that they do statistically is like pretty, it's pretty fine. Like there, yep. there's no real like, oh shit, like this is, this is unsustainable or like, this is a significant problem. Right. So that makes me go, okay, like this is probably pretty real. They're probably fine. And then you remember Luca is like superhuman every night in order to make this happen. And then you remember Luca actually might be a superhuman and you keep like going back and forth on it where you're like, well, can he keep this up over 82 games? Well, you know, he, he might yeah. be like a t- top 10 player of all time by the time it's all said and done. Like th- that's something that actually could be in the cards for Luka Doncic. So like, 
I say all this to say, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just straight up don't know at this point with them. It's hard. Like, you watch these games, they are miserable to watch. They 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 are hideous games to watch anytime that Luca isn't doing something like highlight worthy, right? Uh, there are probably seven or eight minutes that are, or seven or eight moments in games that are worth watching with Dallas because Luca just does something like transcendent. And then the other 200 moments in a basketball game, you're just like, oh, this fucking sucks. Like, <laughs> this is miserable to watch. Um, yeah, like, they tied for the best offense in the league right now. The, the thing I will note about Luca is the big differentiator for him, I think, now is instead of taking like even more pull up threes and like even more tough shots from the mid range, he's living at the foul line now mm-hmm. in a way that he hasn't previously. What, 12 free throws per game right now? I yeah, think. Yeah. He's, yeah. 11.7. Averaging 12 free throws a game. He's shooting 78%, like you mentioned, Mark, in terms of like actually converting when he gets to the line. But he's just living there. And I think that has been the biggest part that has made him as efficient as a scorer as he's been this year. It's just that ability to live at the foul line and, and not take tougher shots. And he's so good at making tough shots that like you have to live with him taking them. But he's taking fewer of them now and that's led to more efficient offense. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you that I don't know where this is going to land. I don't know where the Christian Wood thing is going to land. He's been great so far offensively. Like he's been everything that Dallas could have asked for and more offensively. Um, Defensively. I think they clearly get frustrated with him and I've seen like Tim McMahon on ESPN's podcast has been like, it feels like Jason Kidd is like trying to break him or something like that. And I'm just like, how'd that go? (laughs) Yeah. Like, how's that going to go? Like, yeah, I don't know, man. I I just don't, I don't know what to anticipate going forward from their role players outside of Dorian Finney Smith, Reggie Bullock, who will like D up and make threes. Um, like they're three and D guys. I trust them. They're everything else. I, I don't know that I trust. I trust Maxi Kleba to be like effective. Yeah. Um, Do you want to know what Luca's shooting from mid range right now? It's gotta be very high. It's ungodly <laughs> actually. Um, 59%. That's all mid range. That is not going to hold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Including 62% from four to 14. So yeah, that's absolutely not going to hold. Gonna There's hold. no chance that that holds. But he's hit some he's hit some insane shots. And it's like it's not the it's not the actual jumpers. It's like the the runners, the push shots, like just some of the wonky finishes that he's able to pull off. Um, yeah. And I, I do want to say too, like this is not at all meant to like be decrediting to Dallas, but I just think it's tough because this is largely a lot of the same team that had real limitations in the playoffs. It was just, but at the same yep. time, like okay, they could they could make another run like that. It just depends. And I'm, I'm interested to see how things play out. And mainly just, I love watching Luka Doncic play basketball. This guy is. So do I. Like you mentioned, like, I feel like that almost gets lost that he's, because there have been frustrations with him in, in terms of like, you know, what, what, what his game is at, you know, he hasn't gotten a ton better as a defender. I, I that's been one of the, the spots this year. I think his defense has been pretty rough to start. Um, but I think that's kind of, you know, baked in an expect, expect expectation at this point. But, um, 
like when your usage is approximately yeah. a billion percent well know, exactly exactly have some problems exactly <laughs> um but like like you mentioned like the dude's 23 years old and he's putting up 36 8 and 8 on like let me look at the i mean i know that yeah i'm like plus seven true true shooting it's unreal man like he's so good yeah he's insane luca is unbelievable um it's a treat to watch him every night it is not a treat to watch the Dallas mavericks team every night <laughs> i do like watching them play defense but yeah the offense is like yeah. yeah what can you do um real or fake i guess real insofar as like i think that luca will lead them to 45 wins i don't know where it goes beyond that i mean i would have said the same i think they're basically the same spot they were last year basically i guess yeah. is where i'm at uh, okay. Next up, let's go. Let's do Golden State very quickly. Okay. Because yeah. I don't think this is going to take a while. Um, yeah. Golden State is currently four and seven. They have had some tough losses. Like, let, let's be real about that. Like, losing, you know, by five to the Denver Nuggets, losing in overtime to the Hornets. Um, they lost by one to the Magic in that weird tight game. Like, they've had some tight losses. The other thing is, they probably shouldn't have lost some of these games at the end yeah. of the day. Um, everything with the starting lineup looks fine. Like, th- this is just, like, totally a, like, fake, I'm not worried about this at all uh, thing, even though I know Golden State Warriors fans are so used to, like, year-round excellence as long as Steph and Dre and Clay are on the court together that like they're panicking a little bit there is nothing about the situation that has me panicking right now yeah I I would say I'm not panicking about anything I I am a little bit worried about Clay to be honest I do think like the percentages and everything gonna rise up he's looked rough for me defensively like the lateral quickness has really taken a step back um, so that like, granted, that's not anything crazy. I think it was Marcus Thompson who tweeted out like when, you know, when, did, could you ever imagine as a, as a golden state fan that teams would be targeting clay instead of Steph and that's what's happened this year. So it's oh, like, totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, I still think he fouled Kevin Herter yesterday, but that's, you know, whole other discussion. 100% but, foul. 100% yeah. foul. It's okay yeah. though. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, you ready to talk about the bench? Yeah. I, I, let me just mention on clay. I think that this looks fine if Clay starts shooting 40% yeah. from three again, which yeah. I have every indication to believe that he will, because at that point, Clay is averaging like 18 and a half, three and three, um, and things are fine. And that's what they're looking for from him, right? Yeah. With the influx of Jordan Poole, with everything like that, right? Yeah, um, yeah the, the bench is the worst bench in the league. This bench unit is so bad. Like I've seen people ask me like in the YouTube comments and like on Twitter, how can you just blame, how can you blame James Wiseman? How can you blame Ty Jerome? How can you blame like these guys that are playing 10 to 15 minutes per game? Um, In the fourth quarter of that game last night, I tweeted out the box score in terms of what it looked like after a certain point. Uh, I think it was with like five minutes left. I pulled it up. Yes. With five minutes left in the game. 
Kaminga, Jerome, Moses Moody, Anthony Lamb. These guys had played under 20 minutes for sure. Probably more in the vein of like 12 to 15. None of them had a plus like Jordan uh, Poole was a minus 13 and he was the best player out of all of them, even though he didn't play well yesterday. Ty Jerome was a minus 22. Jonathan Kaminga was a minus 17. Like it was a disaster with that bench unit yesterday. And I feel like that's just what it comes down to. They've taken James Wiseman out of the rotation. And I think that was probably the right call, but like they're, they just don't have the dudes on the bench. Like they actually might need to go swing a trade to go get somebody for the bench. Like I've been, we talked about this last week. Like I've been a proponent of them just like kind of playing through the bench, playing through it all mm-hmm. on the bench and just like letting these kids try and figure it out. I don't, I don't know. Like it, it I, I think I'm still there, but like also with the acknowledgement that this probably ends with them having to go make a move for somebody off the bench. Yeah, well, exactly. I think that's what's tough is if it's like, to me, it's like, all right, if you're having Moody and Kaminga figure it out off the bench, like I think that that's doable. But when you have, you know, four guys that are all on like rookie scale deals that you're trying to kind of figure out, well, obviously pool yeah. like just accept a new one, but I, that doesn't kick until next year. But like, yeah, um, it's just, I think that's too much, especially too like, because we talked about this last week, like you mentioned, like, I think the the Wiseman and Kaminga struggles are really rooted in one another because Kaminga had to start playing out of position after really playing more as a four or five last year and excelling at that, you know, well noting he's still a rookie. Like he had you had real utility, even if it wasn't always a plus. Um I yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that they have to make something happen here. And I'm like again, I'm not super worried. Dante DiVincenzo has looked good in three granted, three games he played. So yeah. I think him coming back will help, of course. But I agree. Like, they, they need to bump out their bench and make something happen via trade. The Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney lineup has a 130 offensive rating and a 104 defensive rating. They are plus 26 in the minutes that they have played together. Mm-hmm. And this team is 4-7 and seven right now. Yeah. That just seems like everything is fine to me. They'll figure this out. Sneakily, I want to say too, Dre has been awesome offensively. Like, yeah, he has. He's, he's been, been great overall. Yeah, yeah, he's like the defense has obviously been really good, but yeah, like just the like after some real moments the last two years of at times just looking kind of passive, you know, really passing things up. Like, I think he's been really good. Like, I've really enjoyed what he's doing offensively. Um, yeah, I and we just got to pine like, dude, Steph yesterday, that fourth quarter run, that shot he hit over Kevin Herter. With like, what was that, like 45 seconds left? That's one of the craziest shots I've seen this year. Um, Like Kevin Herter played that about as well as you can. Had a hand in his face in the shooting pocket the entire time. Slid with him. And it just didn't matter. Like that was just like, I think what Steph had 15 in the fourth quarter. He's unreal, man. Like watching that dude play basketball is is insane. Um, I, I just, every day that I get to wake up and watch Steph Curry play basketball is a good day. Yeah, totally. Like he's just the most fun player to watch. Like there's the way he moves off the ball, the way that he consistently just gets incredibly hot from three. There's just nothing like it. Even 15 years into his career, there's still just nothing like watching Stephen Curry get absolutely smoking hot from three and make every single shot uh, possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. Let's move on. 
and go to the Indiana Pacers. Mark Schindler's Indiana Pacers. Uh, Schindler, I'm just going to give you the floor to start on the Pacers. I, I want you to be able to opine on this five and five, uh, beautiful, weirdo, fun Indiana Pacers team that we think has no chance to defend, but is actually just like incredibly fun to watch. Yeah, well, I just want to start right out and say fake. No, this team is not. This is not a 500 basketball team. Um, <laughs> just just to put that out there blanketly. Um, but like you mentioned, I've really enjoyed this. I think in some ways it's been a double-edged sword because last year, um, you know, what I was kind of hoping from the Pacers early on when they didn't make any of the trades, you know, they kept Karis LeVert, they kept Miles, um, they had Domas there at the start. There was a lot of like, to, in my opinion, at least, uh, I felt like Rick was kind of coaching in a way that wasn't always super conducive to what the roster talent was. Um, it didn't feel like that was necessarily the roster that he was excited about. I feel like this is this is a different story. Like this roster, the way that he's coached it, the way that everything is set up, like Benedict Matherin does not look like this on another team. Like he would obviously look very good still, I think. He would have a lot of fantastic flashes. But like the way that Rick and the offensive staff have built Benedict into this offensive system, like it's almost like he's playing at Arizona again with the way that he gets to play and some of the things that he's run. Um, it's just freedom. Like it's freedom yeah. to cut. It's freedom, you know, within his skill set. They're they're doing a really good job of giving him a lot of opportunity, but the opportunity comes within things he's good at. Like they yes. don't ask him to do anything other than dribble in a straight line. They ask him to run the floor as hard as he can. They ask him to cut back door and they ask him to shoot threes, obviously, which we he can do all of those things. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I think that the way that they've coached Ben so far has been very good. Yeah, and I've loved it. And I think just uh, Ben's confidence is something that I think I totally undersold in the draft. Like, especially when you're looking at some of the top guys, like having – like, he's so good at asserting himself without necessarily even being part of a play. Um like obviously in different ways, but I feel like he and Keegan Murray are kind of similar in that even if they don't have the ball in their hands, they really good at just yeah. finding their way, have really just incredible nose for the ball. Um, the, the, I mean, did you expect him to average six free throws per game his rookie year? Cause that's what he's doing right now. No, I didn't. I didn't yeah. think, but the, the way that he's doing it makes sense. The like contact finishing and everything yeah. has been really impressive from him. I will say this. I think he's always gotten super, super underrated in terms of his intersection of strength and explosiveness. Yeah. Like he is like probably 220 pounds. He doesn't look it yeah. like he has like a pretty like thin frame for the most part, but like he has big shoulders. He's a fairly like big chest and like a fairly big torso that allows him to kind of play through contact and go through guys. Um, the question has always been the ball handling, right? Like yeah. he's not the most technically savvy guy who's going to like take guys off the bounce and everything, but as a pure athlete, this is why I had him fifth in the class. Like I was an enormous fan of his athleticism and I figured, you know, maybe at some point the handle will come, but when you combine crazy athleticism with high level shooting, I kind of figured it would work in some respect, yeah. uh, especially early. It's just how much will it work? Can he become like a star? We'll see. Yeah. And I'm at the point right now of saying, I think that's, I think we're on that train. Uh, I think, I think that's on yeah. the table. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
and one very random shot, but just because I'm a lover of historical basketball, I've always thought this with Ben. Um, his frame reminds me a ton of Jim Jackson, like just like that really sturdy six five six six. Like again, random shot. You want he's from Toledo, so of course I have to know who he is. But um, <laughs> Ohio State legend uh, Jim Jackson. Yeah. There One of go. the most random careers. Big Ten Network time. legend Jim Jackson. <laughs> really good announcer now. Yeah. He's actually um, really good. Yeah. Jim he's Jackson's so good, great. man. He needs more. Just get him on everything. Um, yeah. In terms of the rest of the roster. Yeah. So Buddy Heald has been awesome. Uh, currently shooting 42% from deep on 10 attempts per game. Would have um, thought it was higher. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, he'd think it's higher too. Uh, but yeah, I mean, th- it, again, this is super conducive to what he does. Like, this is they're running at times. It's going to be less now with, with Chris Duarte out for the next month, uh, potentially six weeks. Um, but they're running like four guard lineups at times, and the overall just movement, motion, and they're they're running a lot of flow game. Like it's not a ton of just called out sets. Like there's a lot of flow. They're getting out and running like crazy, and that's without even having talked about Tyrese Halliburton yet, who has. Yeah, I was going to say like that. That's the thing. Like that's why they can run like flow offense is because yeah. This is what Tyrese is great at. Yeah. And what's been cool is that Tyrese is actually making legitimate strides. Like he's doing the thing that I, I think much of what the Pacers rebuild is banked on like Tyrese Halliburton becoming the quote unquote lead guard that I think they've really hoped for. Um, Again, it's still going to take time to get there. I do want to keep pointing out to people. It is so important to recognize that you got to be careful with some of these numbers with the Pacers because like this team is playing crazy pace they are not playing defense whatsoever. This is not conducive to winning basketball currently um, in terms of like at the higher stages. But in terms of Tyrese becoming like a better half-court scorer, I think that's been very real. Um, we're still trying to see him get deeper pickup points and stuff like that, but he's getting to the line more as a career-high free throw rate, and I think that's been, that's been legitimate. Um, he's taking more threes. He's doing it with more variety in terms of how he's getting his pull-ups off again, really funky shooter, but like he's doing more stuff, you know, take it dribbling to his left, which has not always been a thing for him in terms of dribbling left in his pull-up. Like he's going both ways with his pull-up. He's comfortable. Um, Like he had a really good clip against Detroit earlier this year where he dragged Isaiah Stewart back and forth, you know, left, right, East, West for, for, you know, seven or eight seconds. Those aren't the kind of shots that we're used to seeing from him. Like he's trying to drag himself in the deeper waters and find things. And it's been really impressive, man. Like the, the defense has been an absolute dumpster fire from him to be fair. Like his on ball has been absolutely atrocious this year. Um, and that's to be he's fair. Never. That's, that's the thing. Like he's never really been a good on ball defender. Yeah. Oh yeah. Never. Off but the it's, ball and is like super good rotationally, but like it's always yeah. been a problem on. The ball. Yeah. And it's it's been the entire team. Like Aaron Neesmith has been their best defender at, uh, on the perimeter this year, and that's to be fair. Like he's been like an, an average perimeter defender, but exactly like it's been asking a lot. Um. So yeah, but I mean overall, again, just the the strides he's making are legit. Like he's almost like 50 46 92 right now i think um which is like it's silly that's video game numbers man um so yeah i feel i feel good about the strides that they're making like i feel legitimately very good about it i think isaiah jackson has had good flashes i think the flashes are becoming a little bit more consistent we've seen uh they've some of the uh playmaking stuff has come out with him a little bit um we've seen some more like him just making 
good reads on the fly. Um, I think learning to play in space, again, like that's going to continue to be a thing, trying to see what that looks like. His perimeter defenders do not help him, but, um, you know, trying to figure that out has been something else. Um, I think, and I don't want to say that it's been a disappointment for me because that seems too harsh. I personally didn't expect anything differently, but Jalen Smith has been probably about what I've expected this year. Um, He hasn't shot the ball super well from deep, but he's like, he finds some ways to be assertive. He's really good on the glass. I still think he's kind of uh, lost in a lot of ways defensively. He's just very Um, stiff. He he still is very stiff, which is the problem. Um, Um, This team is real to me in terms of like, in terms of the process. Yeah. In terms of the process and in terms of, if you don't bring the energy, like if you're coming off of a back-to-back going into Indiana, they will catch you. Like no questions asked. They will. They have a good chance to win that game. Um, are they real in terms of being a 500 team? No. They, they're going to be like a 27-win team or something like that probably. Like if they go 22-35 and 35 the rest of the year, that's probably a pretty good or 22 and no, it wouldn't be 22 and 35. It'd be like 22 and 45 or something like that. Um, That's probably a likely outcome at this point, especially once we get into the end of the year and the Wemby sweepstakes like really heat up. Um, But what we've seen so far, and eventually I have a feeling they're probably going to move buddy because this is a great opportunity to move buddy because Mm. he's been absolutely on fire. And this is a great opportunity to move miles Turner. If you're not going to build around him. So, yeah, why not? Like, here's the other thing, too. Like, can't they renegotiate and extend Turner if they want to? Like, they have a ton of cap space. Yeah. They have, like, he's on a, he was on a four-year deal. Like, theoretically, they could give him a bunch of money and they could get him to stay, right? Yeah, and he just played the best game of his career yesterday, just about. Yeah. Um, like, he's he's been, like, other than the, the Brooklyn game was absolutely terrible. I just want to expunge that from my memory, but... He was really good against Washington. Post interview game. <laughs> yes, that I that Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. He was really good against Washington. Was very good against Miami in a surprising win, and was really good against the extremely good against the Pelicans. Um, I I just I still think that they just need to move on from him. To be frank, mainly just because I think after taking the time to well, not even time, but like making the trade to invest in Isaiah Jackson. Okay, we'll invest in Isaiah Jackson. I don't really see the point in, especially in a year where, not that, again, there's a difference between like full-on tanking and still being a team like this that's competitive while not being talented enough to really be competitive. Um, I just want to see them really try and figure things out with Isaiah Jackson. Um, Not that Miles is a significant barrier to to him playing, but last night was the first night in the entire time that the two of them have been on the roster that we've seen them like actually share the court together for a stint. Um, which like that's the kind of thing that makes me like, I don't know. It just gives pause a little bit, especially just considering what the, the center situation can be in Indiana sometimes. So it is, it is just rather comedic, but yeah. Okay. You mentioned the surprising win against the Miami heat. The Miami heat are the last team that we want to talk about here. The heat are in a strange position. It feels like they yes. are four and seven. Uh, they have played like a 
fairly average schedule. Like they, they should not be four and seven. This just feels like a slog. Every time that I watch them, it, everything they do feels hard. Does it feel that way? Like everything offensively that they do, it just feels very difficult. That's my biggest note is talking about their offense right now. Yeah. Um, I think what's been really tough uh, for me with this offense, not that, I don't know, not that not saying Jimmy Butler has hit different this year feels like the wrong way to put it. Like he's still been very good. Um, I don't think Kyle is, I mean, I think Kyle looked almost washed in that first game. And then I honestly think he's been pretty fine since then. Again, like not exactly like perfect for playing, paying your max money. But the thing for me has been more with, and I'm not trying to put all this on Tyler hero, but that's where I think I've felt the most like um, confusion is the wrong way to put it. But like Tyler's blend of scoring and playmaking right now is not where I, I think it needs to be. Um, like it's very like I think he's taken a little bit of a step back as a playmaker this year, frankly, because of how much he's been yeah. looking for a shot. And he's been very good from the field, to be fair to him. But also like it just doesn't feel like impacts defenses a lot the way that he's playing right now like the the pull-ups and the off-ball stuff are really good but it's the on-ball things where his pickup points are really early it's often a pull-up it's rarely getting to the rim um their offense in entirety i just they don't get to the rim very much um that's that's exactly i don't even know that it's like get to the rim getting i feel like the they paint don't like, even get to the paint yeah like it feels like a difficult task they're 25th for right now in rim frequency um, which yeah. feels right. Um, yeah, they're they're just so, especially too, considering how small they play, it just makes it a really difficult ask for them because they're not going to beat teams on the offensive glass often. Um, they get bullied on the defensive glass often. Um, it's just, it's a really weird blend right now. Like, or I actually, I'm kidding. They're, they're seventh in defensive rebounding percentage, but like against the Kings, that was a problem. Like the Monis Sabonis, absolutely ate them on the offensive glass. I think that's going to be a problem against teams that have bigger front courts and more importantly, just have more talented dynamic stars, which is going to be a problem in the, in the East, especially against the playoff teams. Um, yeah. I just think like, so, I don't Oh, Sorry. Go ahead. To, yeah. To your point on, they don't get a lot of shots at the rim, right? So they're 25th in rim frequency right now. Mm-hmm. They're also only getting 9.4 wide open three-point attempts per game and that to me again says that they're just not getting to the paint because the best way to get wide open threes is to collapse the defense and then kick out right so they're just not they're they're having a more difficult time it feels like to me than any other team in the league it generating open opportunities and generating high leverage shots uh which i think is kind of an indictment on kyle lowry Like a a lot of what Kyle is creating is like these, you know, I'm I'm going to take a step into the inside the three point line and then step back and try and get a three. Right. Like that's more what he seems to be creating for his own offense. And he's making them like it's a credit to him right now. Um, Jimmy Butler is putting his feet in the paint regularly. But then you look at like this team in terms of their three point shooters they take a lot of threes but like a lot of them are contested three pointers from kyle from tyler um 
And then the other ones are like threes from guys that teams don't really give a shit if they shoot them. Like Gabe Vincent, people don't really care if Gabe Vincent's going to take a three. Caleb Martin, people do not care if Caleb Martin is going to take a three. Um, Max Struess and Duncan Robinson, people care if they take threes. Tyler Hero, people care if he takes three, but he's taking them off a of pull-up something, so he's not really generating open threes. Like, I would bet half of their open threes per game are probably Max Struess threes, and then everyone else is generating, like, zero open threes or three open threes per game or something, and that's just hard, and that leads to teams just collapsing the pain against them, and it just becomes way too fucking difficult to move anywhere when they're on offense. Yeah, and I yeah, I I, com- I completely agree. I do want to hit on too like Max Drews has been awesome. Like I'm at the point where I was, I want to see him start over Caleb Martin just because like based on, on like what they need from their offense, like he's he's such a good shooter, man. Like that yep. not to that like I and he's good at I mean he can attack closeouts, he moves the ball like does really good things. But then again, it's like okay, well, not that he's a bad defender, but there's a, there's a defensive trade-off for sure. But I think one of the other problems has been with Tyler playing in the starting lineup. Now their bench just does not hit the same, like even remotely. Um, yeah. And that's been a big problem for them because they really thrived on bench points at times last year. And um, it just, I, I don't, yeah, it's not awesome. Um, like I think the, for me, be just because I don't think Kyle is going to these 36, I don't think that change is going to happen for me. I think it's got to come from Tyler growing as a playmaker. And I think it's possible like I yeah. want to see his playmaking, not of course playmaking, like pacing inside the arc. Like I, would, even if you're not taking shots at the rim, like okay, can you get more into the paint, snake into the paint, just do some things running baseline, at least dragging the defense and, and trying to to find more pockets that aren't necessarily scoring. And I know he's wired as a scorer, so that's asking a lot, and it takes time for that stuff to happen. But um to me, like I think, as, at least in terms of internal roster stuff, I feel like that's the only thing I can really pinpoint is like really, really improving. Like Vic could maybe come back and like yeah. give them a little bit more athleticism, touch the pain a little bit more often, and maybe create that way. Because the thing is, they have a lot of unselfish guys. Once they do touch the paint, I think they are pretty good at like yeah, moving they're very around. Good out. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think they do a good job of then just like keeping it right along the. Um, chain on the perimeter and finding the open guy but it's just hard everything they do right now is hard because they struggle to get that initial paint touch um yeah and you know like opponents are shooting 27 or the fourth best effective field goal mark against them this year so like the defense has not even been like what it typically is for Miami. Like this Miami team needs to be a top 10 defense at the end of the day to make it work. They're 14th right now. And that's in large part because teams are shooting 70 and a half percent at the basket against them. Yeah. Like that is hard. They're a good yeah. transition defense team, but like once teams get to the paint or like find that big on the block or like find that big in role situations, they just don't like Bam is great, but Bam is not like the best rim protector in the league. And he's switched out so often too. Like, I think that's yep, been my biggest totally. frustration with them. Like they, and again, I think it's stuff that they cleaned up in the playoffs for sure, but it's like, okay, well right now with your offense struggling the way it is, like the defense has got to be tighter and not allowing some of the soft switches that they do. 
One but of the it becomes even, but it becomes even harder with the soft switches out with Bam getting away from the basket yeah. when you lose PJ Tucker, who can at least like rotate over and True. not be the world's biggest impediment, but be something. Yeah, just like be there. Caleb Martin, Duncan Robinson, like th- those are the guys that are rotating over now, and Max Struess. It just hits a little bit different. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I, they're one of the teams that I've thought for a while about like i know they've they've talked about like oh you know um calling bam they're they're like a, a four instead of a center like he still is a center for them i think to me i i don't know it's tough because i like adding a true center to this or not even just saying true center but like let's say and i don't kill me heat fans like if this team added miles turner like that does stuff for their offense that I don't, I don't envision being awesome. Like I don't think miles is the kind of player who necessarily fits in, t- in, in the offense that they run. Um, yeah. Like, but in terms of like what it brings defensively, like I do think that there's stuff interesting there, like actually yeah. letting bam be more of like that weak side realm or getting to do a lot more mucking things off the ball. They would play more traditionally to be sure. Like you're not going to, if you get miles turn and play a switch all defense, that's just, that's, stupid um but like i don't know i because to me i feel like they almost need to lean into the being such well, a good defensive team but the, the offense would run almost more like you see memphis is the way they use stephen adams except with yeah. turner spacing from three as opposed to like adams going into the dunker spot and trying to get offensive rebounds mm-hmm. um and then defensively you would switch everything one through four and then you know just kind of let uh turner sit back and drop right yeah. Yeah, or even uh, like I'm he, trying... he's good playing close to the level, stuff like that too. Like it's yeah. just, yeah. I think into like I, I think it could do things. And again, too, like just having more size, like I think could benefit them in some ways. Cause Miles has been really good at asserting himself this year. Like this is not me trying to just make it a Miles Turner pod, but um I mean he's making the Brooklyn game looked really bad, but after after that, it's uh considering what the rest of the trademark looks like, it's interesting. You know who the guy that would be interesting for them is? It Ooh. would be a return. A return. Uh, we talked about him earlier. We d- shit. Who? Kelly Olynyk. Ooh, yes. Okay, that's somebody else I thought about too. I would love Kelly Olynyk back on this team. That that that's, would actually make a lot of sense for them as a target, especially offensively too. Um, yeah, I would. I'd be totally in on that. And he's capable of doing the right thing scheme wise on defense and being big. And I think that counts for more than what they're getting in the on the back line right now. So yeah, I would be. I'll be so in on that for Miami. Yeah, like I, the problem is they can't really move picks. I, I don't know how they would get Kelly done, but like that—that's that's what you do. I think like that—that—that's who you. That would be a guy that I think would not cost a lot. That would be very beneficial for them. Yeah, no, I agree totally. So, um, okay, we've talked about basketball for an hour and a half. The Miami Heat, real or fake? Let's let's end this. Um, is their start real or not? I think fake just because I believe in Spo and Jimmy and Bam. Um, and I think that this team is better than four and seven, but it's also not fully fake. Like this just has been bad basketball from them. I, I think that they're closer to the 500 mark than they are. Um, they're what their win total over under was probably like 47 and a half, something like that. Yeah. I think they're more like 41 and 41 as opposed to like, 48 and 34 so i mean i guess that that's real to an extent Mm -hmm. right um yeah 
but not like not four and seven. I don't think. Uh, yeah. Okay. Mark, we've got two things that we want to finish on. Okay. So you enjoyed Rings of Power, like I, I did, did. Right. I did enjoy Rings. Of so Power. for people who did not watch Rings of Power and still want to watch it, this is a good time for you to depart the show. Um, Mark and I want to talk a little bit about Rings of Power, and I have a Ringer style hottest take about something that happened in the last episode of Rings of Power. Um, I, I really enjoyed Rings of Power. I think that you enjoyed it more than people did as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I liked the Harfoots quite a bit. I thought that that storyline was incredibly well done with Stranger. Nori is like the best character uh she's really good like yeah i like her actor best. a lot um i enjoyed everything with durin uh everything with elrond and durin i think worked exceptionally well i think the galadriel hallbrand like the galadriel hallbrand relationship works really really well and I'm fascinated to see where they take that in season two with the reveal at the end of the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm waiting to reveal it. Cause I want people to have like ample time to be able to get off the show. Um, if they don't want any more spoilers, um, wh- where are you at on rings of power and what you enjoyed? Yeah, I think my biggest, my biggest thing I like, I, I thought Galadriel was really good. I think some people like really tore apart the acting, but honestly, like, I thought Galadriel was good. Like I really liked her. No, I, I thought Morphid Clark was very good. Yeah, yeah, I, I, um, I think that's a little bit crazy. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I agree with you. I thought the Harfoot storyline was the best, mainly because that was the storyline I knew the least about headed in. Um, yeah, and I think for me, like I, I knew the reveal was coming. Like I knew, like pretty much from from Rip. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's him. Um, and so I felt like that was like a little bit. Um, yeah. I feel like it was obviously the wrong way to put it, but like it was just kind of clear. I'm like, yeah, this guy's not a man. But um, no, like I really, I, the only thing that I think could have been a little bit better, um, just from a storyline perspective, was like I wish that there was like a little bit better of a tie up. And again, like because there will be a season two, but just given that it's going to be like a year and a half before that, um, I wish that there'd been like a little bit of a better tie up for. Um, what Adar um like I really liked the episode where they kind of humanized the orcs a little bit um yeah and like primarily centralized Adar in that but then I feel like we got like hardly anything on them in the last episode and that was like I, again I get it from a pacing standpoint but that was like eh. um it, it felt like they really had to rush the last episode yeah, it felt reason. very rushed, and I didn't. That that was. I wish that would be, had been like split into two episodes with like a little bit more. Yeah, and just given how much Amazon is spending on this season of television, I'm surprised that they didn't allow that to happen. Uh, seemingly, yeah. like you know, just let it kind of roll. My hottest take does come back to the last episode. <laughs> is Kella Brimbor good? <laughs> Are we sure Celebrimbor is the best smith in Middle-earth? Are we sure that this guy has any idea what he's doing? He just seems old and wears cool clothes. Um, 
Like that's kind of all I got on him. <laughs> like yeah. it was it, the he did not get hyped in the way that made me think that this was like the greatest uh, artisan of all time. Uh, oh, I, I think he got the hype. I think that he well, did not. It was not, not follow through. <laughs> I was yeah. I was like yeah. I was like cool. Like you built the image. This is but the Ben Simmons mean... of Smiths in Middle oh, Earth. Yeah. <laughs> that's tough yeah uh yes i i agree like i that that part i can totally agree with because especially too like the way that he's been like portrayed in any of like the background storyline like super confident dude like i did not get that at all in this interpretation sauron's basically like hey have you ever heard of making an alloy yeah and kellebrimbor's like wait you can do that wait yeah that's a thing that you can actually make that happen and then he's like oh wait like the for whatever reason the alloys won't combine under high pressure and then sauron is like wait wait what if we tried low pressure and then it's just like oh wait yeah. this works how is is Celebrimbor good i think the answer is absolutely unequivocally no excessively uh, good he had rich parents. Yeah. I think that's 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 the Celebrimbor vibe. Yeah. Uh is is Celebrimbor uh the best smith in Middle Earth? No. The answer is no. He is like a terrible smith. Uh period. I, I think that is what we have learned from all of this. Um and then like Galadriel like tosses like the full blade in at the end and it's like wait you said you needed just like the best uh what, what was it like the best silver or whatever yeah. is the only thing that can be combined and it's just like well what the shit what's the shit on the handle my guy <laughs> like what's happening here just uh, oh, some extra God. seasoning you know no this is Celebrimbor sucks that's that's yeah. where i'm at Celebrimbor is not the best smith in middle earth yeah i also just don't think like like again like for the significance of what that moment's supposed to be like yeah like, right, cool done like i'm like we did this in 15 minutes like that was the kind of thing where i was like i feel like there's got to be there's got to be like a lot more in that so yeah I, i'm there with you it just felt very half-baked at the end it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous kellebrimbor is bad kellebrimbor is the ben simmons of middle earth that's that's where we're at here um hyped hyped beyond belief Maybe did well early in his career, and then when it mattered most, fell back to Earth, Middle Earth, fell back to Middle Earth. This is where we're at. Uh, Okay. Mark, we didn't talk about pizza last time. This is the last thing we got to talk about. Okay. Um, Mark Mark Schindler pizza takes. This is what we need. Uh, Okay. You you wanted to get into pizza last time. What did... We were talking about, uh, I forget what we were talking about, but what what are your pizza takes here? I need to hear your pizza takes, apparently. Yeah, so one that I got, like, absolutely hammered for, uh, I think it was within the last two months. Um, I said that you don't need more than two toppings on a slice of pizza. Um, And people disagreed with that very strongly. I just think, like, if you're really eating good pizza, I don't think you need more than two toppings, like, just for the most part. Like, you're oversaturating it if you put that much more shit on it. Like, I mean, come on. Like, it's one thing if you're doing, like, a, a pizza that has, like, all right, you got, like, 
I don't know, like you can have like multiple like vegetables on it or something, which like good pizza vegetables. I'm not saying you have to have broccoli on your pizza. That's kind of whack. But um, like, I don't know, like meat lovers pizza is kind of an atrocity. Um, (laughs) Putting that out there. Important to note. I don't think bacon is all that great on pizza. I think it's overhyped. It's just um, I launched right in with that one. Um, Yeah, it's too much, man. Like, yeah, no, no. it's no. I, I mean, i'm very much in the bacon isn't that great train like bacon's like a nice like c plus b minus it's not an a plus like people people go way too hard for bacon what has bacon actually done for you you know um are you talking about like as a general thing or is just yeah. a pizza topping no it, it is in general no bacon is amazing <laughs> bacon bacon is salty and bacon's fine it's fine it's not cured amazing. and delicious no no <laughs> no is more this, is this my last game theory uh appearance <laughs> um i so oh. i will say this i don't totally disagree with you that bacon can be a slightly overrated pizza topping i think sausage is a much better pizza topping um than bacon bacon overrated is a uh that's a that's a wild take is a general statement <laughs> yeah i think uh, i stand by it you know um <laughs> but well to me it's, it's always pepperoni i think i judge a pepperoni yeah. but not pepperoni please i judge a pizza place by the pepperoni slice i think to me like that's that's how i guarantee that, how i don't I mind that yeah yeah to me like i think if you if you can't make a good pepperoni pizza then i don't want to eat at your pizza place um what else? Um, too I, much don't mind, I don't mind judging a pizza place by its pepperoni slice of pizza. Especially yeah. like, I feel like we brought up like New York style pizza or something last time and you wanted to like dive into like a... I love New like, York style. I think New York style pizza is the best pizza. Yeah. New York and planet. New Haven is really good. Um, yes. I um, think... It's actually a significant problem that I can't get like that style pizza out here. That's Not to say the pizza is... Yeah, not that the pizza out here is bad, but like I it's hard to find that like greasy enormous slice of pizza that is yeah. like delicious. Well, exactly, like see cuz that that's when I talk about good pizza to me it's like that. Like I'm talking like thin crust pizza or not even like necessarily thin crust, but like the long slice of pizza that's like not oversaturated. Like it's just like it's pizza, you know? Like I don't I don't need to over hammer deep dish. I know deep dish doesn't represent all of Chicago. Um, it's not pizza, but it, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say Detroit style is really good. I think it's also called like tavern style, like the like uh-huh. semi like deep dish. That stuff is really good. Yeah. I like that. But my other other big take can't have too much sauce, but you also can't have too little sauce, right? So yeah, I'm with that. I'm not like cheese Laura is, likes like a crazy amount of sauce on pizza and I can't do it. No. Yeah. If you pick up the slice and the cheese starts to fall off, I'm not eating it. That's no, that's not pizza. That's just, that's lasagna on, on bread. Um, so no. Um, yeah. I, okay. Are you a pizza folder or do you eat it like, uh, you know, just with a straight normal, uh, hold? I, I think I, folding is a more normal hold, I guess. But like, do you? Do if you it's if the, it's one of the, big, the orthodox like, York, fold, yeah, if, <laughs> the orthodox fold. If it's one of the big slices, I'll fold it. Um, but I, I don't. I've seen people that maybe this is just like a weird Midwest thing. I had friends growing up that would like fold it um, diagonally, so like the tip up to the top, 
which is just crazy to me. Oh, that's um, crazy. Yeah, I've seen that's a horizontal like that. fold. No. Yeah, yeah, the terrible. Um, yeah, just like normally, I just like do like the one finger in the middle and then kind of like wrap the sides right. up and eat it like it's almost right. like a taco. Yeah, I think that's normal. Okay, actual favorite toppings of pizza for you? If I had to get a pizza right now, um. Honestly, so number one would be pepperoni, and I just get a plain pepperoni pizza. Um, but probably like the old, uh, like is it Sicilian pepperonis or the ones that like cup, like the cupping pep, like the mini pepperonis that like yeah, 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 Sicilian. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. It's no, Sicilian. I know what you're talking. Those about. are those that's are like that's like Donato's style. Yeah, because they like crisp up yeah. a little bit. People people who aren't from Ohio don't understand Donato's. Donato's in uh, in Columbus. There's a Donato's in Columbus. That has like a every full-on four, bar. In the, it's like there's one every crazy. like four blocks, and there's yeah. one that is a full-on bar. That's it's right. everywhere. Yeah. Um, I think that's on like what, like East East Seventeenth, somewhere, whatever, or North Seventeenth. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, if I'm it's okay. So pep, regular pepperoni is like my main thing. But if I'm like kind of feeling like whatever, I'll do. I get chicken because I think chicken is the second best meat topping on pizza. I don't like sausage. Um. So I do chicken, uh, peppers, and I don't really like mushroom. Or so you're olives. just talking like plain chicken. So like you're not doing like a barbecue chicken. Oh no, I would do chicken. like like barbecue chicken. Barbecue chicken or like okay. buffalo chicken pizzas are good too. Um, but I also another hot take. I don't really mess with like anything other than marinara sauce on pizza. I think that's kind of weird. Like I I understand like a barbecue or buffalo chicken pizza, but like if you have like an Alfredo sauce based on your pizza, you need to rethink what you're doing. Um. <laughs> like so I, I like a white sauce i will say that i just don't I, think you need to work so hard to reinvent things you know um yeah. i i don't i don't see i'm biased i don't like alfredo sauce um can you sorry. do like a garlicky <laughs> oil kind of sauce i don't like i don't like oil sauces or like yeah. pesto like pesto pizza is disgusting if you do pesto pizza just get out um do you eat pesto on anything no no, I don't like pesto. Have you had good pesto in your life? I'm sure I've had decent pesto. <laughs> I can't say that I've had good pesto. I'm sure I've had decent pesto. Yeah, pesto is good. That's it's that's a... fine. I just don't eat it on my pizza. Like, no. I I tend to eat pesto if I'm gonna have it on something like that isn't just like a cracker or something like that. I will have pesto on ravioli sometimes, and that's pretty that good. Be good. Yeah, if you do like a spinach and cheese uh, ravioli and then you put pesto on it, it's pretty good. Um, okay, interesting. The, these are not as, I disagree with a lot of them, but like these are not as outlandish as I expected If based on what here. I had expectations for on your food takes. Yeah, I could have I gone in different directions, but I think this was, this was a good start. Got to ease my way in. Yeah, I'm I'm comfortable with where this conversation ended. This went better than the last Mark Schindler food section that we did. Um, pe- pepperoni pizza, as long as your like number one order is pepperoni, I think we can't really like go past that and be yeah, you like can't destroy you're me a that. fucking crazy person. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm I'm comfortable with this. Uh, do do I disagree on your Alfredo sauce take? I do. Do I disagree on your the craziest thing you said is that bacon is mid, basically. Bacon, I, I'll stand. That's another one I got here. For. Bacon is mid. Bacon's ex- excessively mid. That might be next week. I don't know if I can get into that with you right now. <laughs> we can do that um, next week. Yeah. Uh, 
Mark, tell the people where they can find your work again. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Um, if you enjoy what I do, uh, I am still looking for four, full-time work in basketball. So I have a Patreon up um, that is linked in my Twitter. Uh, so yeah, if you have the means to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. And uh, mainly, most importantly, Sam, thanks as always for having me on, man. This was fun. This is great. That's Mark Schindler over there. Uh, I did a top 50 newcomers to college basketball thing with CJ Moore. So the guys that you need to know that are in different places or new places this year in college basketball, that's a good little starter. Um, I've one more film room coming later this week that will go up Thursday night with the pod and then into Friday morning with the written version and the uh, audio version with the podcast as well. And then after that, I'm just like watching basketball and podcasting. Um, I'm not sure if the pod will be Thursday or Friday yet. We'll figure that out at a different date. Um, but until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. Bye.